Well, today we're going to explore the world of recruiting your talent for your business. Everybody is struggling with the new job market and how people are thinking about landing jobs, quitting jobs, finding new jobs, and then going through that whole routine. My guest is a specialist who's done something a little bit different, and we're going to get into that. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Greetings, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense, and you're listening uh, to Doug Thorpe. I'm your host today. As I said, uh, we're going to dive into the world of recruiting So many things have changed in the employment game, whether you're an HR professional, uh, a headhunter, a placement pro, things are just changing. Every time you turn and talk to somebody, they'll have a new story about how hard it was to hire their last employee. And my guest today has uh, got a, a pretty interesting new thing going on. His name is Mike Thompson. Mike, welcome to the show. Doug, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so tell us in a nutshell what this thing is that you're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, at the at the core of it, the aim is to really humanize hiring, and it and the philosophy really stems from something we can all agree on, and it's an old quote where people don't leave jobs as much as they run from bad bosses. If we can all believe that you don't leave jobs as much as you run from bad bosses, then the inverse of that I believe to be true, since where we don't join companies as much as we follow leaders. So that's the core of our foundation in terms of if that's true and your boss is so important to job satisfaction and job performance, why are they nowhere to be found in the job description which is the sole piece of content we're using to market jobs. That's my issue. And that's where I'm starting disrupting the entire hiring process. So our system really brings out the most valuable part of any job, which is the people behind the job description right out front when we're attracting top talent. So that puts the the boss kind of front and center in the game. It's almost like they are going to be interviewed or put on the hot seat as much as the candidate's going to be. They already are, Doug. Like it's it's one of those things where we talk about the great retention and all these issues facing organizations, say, with people leaving. It's because if the relationship with your boss is great, you're going to have a hard time retaining talent. So if you attract them, with the boss at the forefront, then your retention is going to be a lot better because people know what they're signing up for. It also, from an organizational standpoint, makes you be very, very careful in terms of who you're putting in these leadership positions because they are the face (laughs) of your organization and they are reflecting the values of the company. So no more are you just promoting the best person at the job, you have to start thinking about it more as ambassadors of your organization, because whether you put them at the forefront of your job description or not, that's going to impact job satisfaction and retention. So my system is, let's just put it out. Let's stop hiding people and waiting for this 
moment to happen three, six months into a job where people figure out who their boss is and leave, let's put it up front and let's let the market determine who the right people are for the right leaders. You know, on one hand, to me, and I'll just say this, that sounds so incredibly obvious. I, I wonder why we haven't done it to this point. What's what's going through my mind is the argument that th there is a mindset among a lot of managers, and I'm, I'm going to be really specific and use the word manager, not leader. <laughs> there's a word, there's, there's a mindset among managers, like I kind of, I don't want to be bothered by this. I mean, if the company's big enough, they're going to have an HR screener do a bunch of the heavy lifting to shortlist some candidates. And then finally, I'm going to sit in and present my questions to the candidate. And it's almost, I would go so far as almost it's a, it is a bit of a superiority mindset. It's like, look at me, I've got this wonderful opportunity. Are you an idiot for not even thinking about taking this job? And, I, you, you know, you're going to totally flip the, the dynamic there with, with, uh, with your approach. So before we get into some more detail, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you come to this epiphany and, and uh, create this model? Yeah, so I've I've been in the recruitment space for nearly 15 years and the individual that brought me into the recruitment industry was a high school friend of mine, someone that I grew up with and we lost touch university and then he was working in recruiting when I graduated uh, and we got connected and he brought me into the industry and fast forward 15 years, he's my co-founder. So we've been working together, we grew up together and we noticed a shift in the market during the pandemic and the power dynamic, as you mentioned earlier, has changed where candidates have more control in the hiring process than they ever have before. There's more jobs than there are people to fill them and people can work anywhere for anybody. Remote working is now a thing. So at first, when the world opened up and remote working was everywhere, employers were like, this is great because we can attract talent anywhere in the world. What they weren't thinking was employees or candidates can now work for anybody anywhere in the world. So this dynamic changed. And whenever there's you know, a, a drastic change in the market, inefficiencies surface. And the way you just described it before was the traditional way of hiring, where managers just had to get involved in hiring, not recruiting. Recruiting was a function that was done by talent or HR to do all the work for them. Now, as a leader, you have to be involved in recruiting and hiring. And I'll, I'll, the difference between recruiting and hiring, recruiting is something that happens all the time. It's your marketing campaign. It's awareness. It's what is it like to work for you? What is your team responsible for? What is it like to work for you? It's all of the, the, the collateral and the content describing that. Hiring is easy. Hiring is just you know, going through the process of evaluating and assessing talent. Most people don't get the training to recruit. They rely on outside departments to do that, where now they have to. And there's a, there's a change going on where they're not equipped to know how to recruit. They're still stuck in just solely hiring. And that's the change that's happening is we are operating at the intersection, we call it, of marketing and recruiting, which is really just educating people on 
you have to sell the job. You have to sell yourself. Just having a job is not enough anymore because everybody does. So what's in it for the candidate? What do they get out of it? And that's recruiting where most people are, are, are not equipped to handle that. So that's a long-winded way of saying that's how this, this opportunity came out is Brian and I were just paying attention to the market and seeing what was going on and saw a massive opportunity to extend what traditional recruiting was to include recruiting or marketing. So, so let me kind of jump straight to the bottom line. How's that working out for you? It is fantastic. I'm telling you, it's one of those things where the reaction is similar to you, where it's a light bulb, like, oh, obviously this makes sense. But then when they try it, we just did, and, and, I'll, and I'll give you an example. We do video job descriptions. So what that means is we do an interview with the hiring manager and we ask them questions that cover three topics. Tell me about you, tell me about your team, and tell me about this role. And the rules we have when you talk about the role don't include what you're looking for. Don't include the experience, what they need to have. Sell it. Tell them what skills would set somebody up for success, what problems they get to solve. And we guide them through this interview process. Then from there, we have Spark Studios that does edits it down to a condensed version of usually three to four minutes. And that serves as the job description. The reaction from the hiring managers that go through it actually say, this is a lot of fun and this is easier than writing a job description. I'm just talking about me and my team and the role. We say, exactly. And then when we share these video job descriptions with people we're recruiting on their behalf, the feedback is phenomenal. It's not, yeah, let's see how this goes or put forward my application. There's an emotional connection and there's a response that says, wow. I want to work for Doug. I really value what he was saying here. I value his leadership style. I want to work for him. And the response rate we're getting from that is fantastic. So I, I urge everybody to, to, to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously an ambassador of the movement and want to disrupt it, but I don't own it. I want everybody to be recruiting this way because it's the right way to do it. Let me ask you, there's a common complaint that I hear from both candidates and employers this whole idea of ghosting, it's, it, you know, it's, some would argue it's a social breakdown at, at its most basic level where you, you go through whatever level of communication and then one party or the other just disappears and stops communicating. And what I used to hear when I was working on the, the candidate side, they were frustrated because employers would ghost them. You know, they would feel like, well, I went through my three-man round of interviews and it went well, but now I, I can't get anybody to tell me where my app is at. That, that was one side. Nowadays, I'm hearing employers saying, I spent all this time teeing up. We had the interview. Now I can't get the candidate. I made an offer and I can't get the candidate to respond. Do you have anybody ghosting in your process? Well, I, I mean, it would be false for me to say it doesn't happen at all for us. But what I can say is it is drastically reduced because there's a connection. There's an emotional connection. And we put candidates through a video process as well. They get to speak back to the hiring managers as part of the application process. So they're invested in the people, not just the process. And I think that's the big difference is whether you're talking about candidates getting ghosted 
or employers getting ghosted, there's they don't owe anybody anything. I mean, it's so easy to interview right now as a candidate. You turn your Zoom camera on and you can do it. You don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to take any time off work. It's a 30-minute conversation. So the interviews are happening, happening so easy. There's less of an investment of time on either side. So how do you combat that is you have to connect people so they feel that there's a vested interest in going through the process on both sides. They know who the individual is. And that's what we really do. It's 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 going to reduce that feeling of ghosting because they're connecting to people. And there's there's a sense of ownership in the process instead of just an application that they apply to. And yeah, so what? They're out. I mean, it's just happens. <clears throat> do you have a sense of the level of engagement where candidates are simply trying to wrangle a written offer from a prospective employer so they can go back to their current employer and negotiate a better deal. That, that happens all the time. And I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's important to know your role as a recruiter is, you know, you can't make people's decisions for them right? You can provide them all the information possible. Ultimately, they're the ones that have to make the decision because they're the ones that have to do the job. And I say that to every candidate I work with is I don't have to do this job. I'm not going to sell you on it. I'm going to present all the information and you can let me know if it makes sense for you and your family. Now, before you get to that point, as part of the vetting process of any recruiter, it's understanding the motivations as to why someone is even interested in the beginning. If somebody is 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 very surface level on their motivation, then that's going to be some red flags for you as a recruiter to see, are they just shopping around? Are they just seeing how much money they can get out there to just receive a counter internally? And if that's the case, just provide them that information ahead of time. Like don't waste each other's time. But I think as a recruiter, and you would know this too, and I'd love your, your feedback is you have to do that work up front to really understand people's motivations or else... You know, you're leaving yourself open to that risk, no matter what the process is. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it, it, it would sound like, though, because of the level of commitment that your process requires, those tire kickers are probably going to be fewer. I mean, somebody almost has to go all the way to the the mindset of, yeah, I'm actually going to go commit fraud because I'm going to go on tape here. I'm going to tell a story and all I'm really looking for is that competitive offer. And I have no intent of hopping jobs and going somewhere, at least not right now, because I think I can get more out of my current employer. And I, I would think with your model, that would be minimized that not to say there still won't be somebody out there in the world that would want to go that far. But I would think with the extra layer of commitment that you would, you would weed a lot of that out. I would yeah, hope there's so. a commitment for maybe sure. I'm sounding, yeah. maybe I'm sounding too ethereal here about all this stuff and the greater good and the, the, the will of mankind and all that good stuff, but I don't know. <laughs> well, I think I think as recruiters, and you probably know this as well, is is you have to give people the benefit of the doubt and think that everybody is is good natured in their in their like I can't read people's minds, nor am I going to assume the worst. It's hey, this is the job, these are the individuals, I can broker this. Is there a connection here? And does this make sense for you in your career? Uh, and if they answer and they do and they want to invest time, then I assume that they're interested. So, uh, you know, we all don't know the outcomes. We all can't control what people do. But right. what we can do is we can be vulnerable or allow people the space to be vulnerable, to be themselves in the process. 
and connect people to each other in that way. And, and that's a big thing. I think the hiring process or the recruitment process is extremely vulnerable, right? Like if you think about a candidate or a hiring manager, you have to put yourself out there and there's always that risk of being rejected for who you are as an individual. So there's a massive vulnerability in this process. What we want to do is we like to uncover and let everybody know that you are unique. Nobody has your story and that makes you unique and you have no competition and it's super powerful, your story. Let us tell that story for you. And that is powerful. That, that gives people confidence that they are enough. They don't have to get the satisfaction or, or, or the, the, the recognition from somebody else to feel that. So there's an extreme vulnerability in this process that we also respect and want to, you know, kind of tell stories on people's behalf. So do you find, Mike, that this model works in all industries or, or have you only tried it out in a couple of different industry segments yeah, so far because we launched in January, we're still still a year in, but we've uh, we've had tremendous success in sales, sales and marketing, uh, and tech um, on the product side in between, and those are kind of the early indicators that we see from a level perspective. When I originally started this, I thought it would be more director level and above type of hires. Um, we did an entry level sales campaign for a cybersecurity company in the U.S. And they had an issue attracting diverse talent. And when we were engaged, we kind of shared with them that the problem with their approach is they were looking for people within cybersecurity. And when you when you look at people's previous experience as a criteria, you're just going to get a lot of people that have come from that industry. So through our approach, we were able to simplify what they were looking for and really humanize with the, their, their potential boss. And that opened up a massive, massive diverse talent pool for them. And we were able to run a successful campaign where they hired six people that all claimed they would not have applied to this job description, but they not only applied, but were hired uh, from outside of industry that met, you know, were diverse talent for them. So we've seen some early success in entry-level sales, um, but mostly kind of uh, sales, marketing, and, and tech right now. Well, that touches on one of the other angles I was thinking about because of your process with the hiring entity, your questions that I think helps hone in and, and probably add value, helping better define the real opportunity. Because I, I, I think another part of what creates noise in the traditional system is companies and hiring managers haven't done a real good job of really thinking about what they really need to make the job go. So there's this superfluous dialogue about, you know, what do you know about tech? What do you know about cybersecurity? What do you know about whatever? And it, it never leans into the details of what a win in that role would look like. Yeah, well, one of the early questions I have with a kickoff with, with a new client is, what does success look like in the first year at this job? Uh, and if you can't clearly articulate what that is, then you got to go back to the drawing board. Because if you don't know what success looks like a year, why are we hiring? Um, and then from there, the jump off point is, what skills would somebody need to achieve that level of success in the first year? We're not talking about experience, we're talking about skills. And then from there, there's a bunch of different areas those skills can come from. 
So those are the jump off points we do with kickoffs with our with our hiring managers to help them understand what it is they're looking for beyond just somebody that has done this job before at one of their competitors. Yeah. Well, this is fascinating, Mike, and we're up on a commercial break spot here. We're going to uh, do that. We're going to take a quick break, and then uh, I've got a bunch of questions that come to my mind uh, based on my own client experience and things that are going on in the market right now. So, folks, hang with us. we got a lot more ground to cover, and we'll be right back after this word. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. DougThorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, folks, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and I'm visiting with Mike Thompson. Mike has a, really a disruptive idea about the hiring and recruiting process. And, and Mike, I want to go ahead and put a plug in for your company. You, you didn't tell us the name of your uh, company. What 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 is that? It is Spark Recruiting. Website is sparkrecruiting.ca, and the inspo for that is as recruiters, we, our job is to connect people and just wait for that spark. Oh, nice. And that's no funny spelling, S-P-A-R-K, right? Just the way it sounds. Yeah. I think when you first told me, I, we didn't talk about the spelling, and I went out and tried to tried to get creative with the Q and all that other stuff. And there's something out there, but that's not it. So, <laughs> um, but but anyway, this is a, a kind of a revolutionary talk. And just just to recap, what we're talking about is busting that old adage: people join companies, but they quit bosses. So. If you flip the inverse of that, you want to be hired by a boss that you're already starting to warm up to. And that's what Mike's Spark process will do for you. So I want to talk a little bit more about that process that you go through, Mike, of interviewing potential hiring managers to get them queued up on video to explain their story. We talked about asking them, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you repeat the three areas that you hit them with? Yeah. So we, we essentially don't use the traditional job description. We create our own because there's a better way of creating content with the aim to hire through video. And so, you know, the inspiration behind that is the number one way to hire is personal referrals. And how do personal referrals happen? It's a conversation you have over coffee, beer, a meal, where you're just telling someone what the job is and what success would look like. So we've taken that to scale. So our job description consists of an interview with the hiring manager where we really focus on three areas. And it's, you know, the role, obviously, um, the team or the group that they're associated with, and then them as individuals and as leaders. Um, that's really the three area of focus for the, the interview. And then we edit that down to a consumable size, anywhere between three to five minutes. And that serves as the job description. So if you're being recruited for a role that, that we're associated with the campaign, you get a video to watch before you decide if you want to move forward in the process. Rather than read anything, you get to hear about the job directly from your future boss. 
Have you gotten any pushback from managers that, you know, their company hires you to be the recruiter and placement professional. Now you go talk to the line manager that's got this role under his domain, his or her domain. Any pushback from those guys wanting to queue up and go through all this? No, there, there actually hasn't been. There's a little bit of hesitation in terms of, you know, some things we get is I'm not great on camera or I don't, you know, I'm not extroverted. I'm, I'm not charismatic or outgoing. And my response to that is good, be yourself because the best way you can market yourself is to be authentic. And if you're trying to be something you're not, then that's going to come across in the video. And honestly, that is the interview process. You have the candidate that's trying to give the perfect answer that the, the, the interviewer wants to hear. And then you have the interviewer that's trying to ask the questions to trick someone or to get to know of what they know. So you're being inauthentic as it is in the interview process. So this on the onset is be yourself, just be authentic, be you, and people will resonate with that. Yeah. I, I think there's just such an incredible power in that. I tell a story and, and many listeners have probably already heard this. So I'll apologize to you guys in advance, but I'm going to repeat this because I think it's important here. I, I've a good, got a good friend. He's actually a, a business partner of mine in a couple of ventures we're doing. And he's a longtime HR guy, big corporate HR. He went to his last big gig He's semi-retired now, by the way, but uh, his last big gig, he went to senior leadership and said, we've got HR all wrong. We're so focused on employee grievance and employee complaint and employee basic training. He said, what if we spent all our HR resources training managers to be better people for our people? And my data tells me that if in every case where I've had a grievance or a complaint, it's because a manager really did something stupid, ill-advised, or inappropriate. And if we can tamp that out of the system, we won't have employee grievances, <laughs> you know, and um, they, uh, they pondered it for a while. And, and this was a big fortune, I'll say 100 company, and he got an assignment to take a big, uh, they ran one of the contracts over in Afghanistan for the government while we were still there. And they had domain over about 50,000 employees. They said, tell you what, we're going to ship you over to Afghanistan. You'll be the number two HR guy there. Implement your system there. And if it works, we'll consider it. So he did. <laughs> and, and it did. It did. The whole dynamic worked. It, it really began improving uh, team morale, team success, team performance. And over there, we're, we're talking a wide variety of job grades and skills. A lot of them are down to common laborers, even not just, you know, this was not white collar professional stuff. And um, it actually worked. So hmm. it um Sadly, it never took legs back in stateside, and uh, it was it was a bridge too far, as they say. So, um, despite a, a successful test bed, it never really got the opportunity it should have. That that's unfortunate because I I 
I agree completely with that approach in that it's you got to invest in people. And we talk about employer branding is a big buzzword right now. And what's your employer brand? And, you know, I like to take it a step further. And what's the personal employer brands? Because the individuals that are hiring collectively are reflection of the employer brand. So if you're not investing in the individuals that are hiring and managing people, then it doesn't matter what the company stands for. If the people aren't embodying and representing that, and you're not providing them the training to do that, then it doesn't matter. So I agree completely. It's investing in the leaders of your organization first. And then my approach lets you show that off and show how great the people are that you're investing in growing. So you should be proud of saying, we want to put our hiring managers at the forefront of the campaign because we have the best leaders in our industry and we want to showcase that. So people that are afraid of saying, you know, we don't want our leaders going out there because they're going to get poached or something like that. If you're protective of the people or you're worried about putting your people out there, you've got bigger problems than than my system and kind of a hiring issue. You yeah. need, to, you need yeah. to sort out your house there. I, I agree with you totally. And I, I, I like what you're saying about the branding, you know, big companies in particular. But this even applies to the small business who is trying to establish a brand whether it's service or product, uh, when you're trying to establish a brand, and, and again, I'll repeat, whether your company's big or small, you you can do all you want to with a with a high level leadership team mapping out, hammering out the definition of your brand. You know, we're going to be blue, and we're going to be this values statement, and we're going to do these great things for, to save the planet, and da da da. But if you don't hire the people in your system to, number one, who embrace that and then who can go make that happen, your brand is worthless. It, it doesn't matter how expensive the bow package or signage is that you just put together to make it happen. It's worthless if you don't have the people standing up behind it. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I feel like we're, preaching to each other's choirs about the idea <laughs> of getting managers who can embrace this and can prove it up. Let me ask you this. One, one of the things that has also come from the pandemic is, I think, a clear movement toward abolishing command and control leadership structure. It's, it's just simply a supply and demand. The market has totally walked away. The, the biggest segment of uh, exit that I can determine has to do with companies that still insist on a very old school command and control style. Employees are feeling empowered enough to say, I'm just not doing that anymore, plain and simple. So if, if have you had a chance to, to be engaged by a company that might arguably still operate with a little bit of that command and control have, have they embraced this at all? It, you know, sadly, some are still fighting that. And we just yesterday, or not yesterday, uh, on Friday, we had to walk away from a client because they were adamant on, you know, three days a week they have to be in the office. It's like, well, it, it's just not, you can't sell that anymore. Like the market doesn't want that. So, you know, it, it's sad that some organizations are still fighting against that instead of, listening to the market and understanding. I mean, listen, what happened over that two-year period during the pandemic is 
everybody's relationship with work changed. Whether you like it or not, it's changed. Some people had an awakening where, you know, we talk about this life work balance where they want to get most of their passion out of their work. So they're going to gravitate towards organizations that fulfill that for them. And then there's some that realize like, I want to get my passions outside of work and work is just a job that I want to do what I can there, but I have some passions outside of work. And that's what's happened in the labor market. And it's organizations responsibility to be aware of that and to know how are you going to respond to this and to respond to it by trying to go back in time and say, we're going back to the way we were is just out of touch and out of tune with the market. So I, I, I think there are a lot of organizations that have embraced this and are moving forward. And it's bumpy because I think a lot of people struggle with how do you manage and lead a virtual team? And we're figuring that out on the fly as we go. Some people are better at it than others, but it's still a relatively new skill set. And rather than immediately thinking it's not working, we have to go back to in-person, it's not the answer. It's evolving and learning and figuring out how to do it in this new way of working. One of the flip sides of that argument is the notion of if you're fully remote or heavily remote, younger employees are lamenting this sense of loss that they don't get the chance to work with the more seasoned leaders in the company. They don't get the mentorship. They don't get the uh, observation time that they might otherwise get if they were in-house. Do you hear any of that discussion or question coming from candidates? Yes, for sure. And I think that there's a balance. I think, you know, there needs to be opportunities or moments in person to allow for that. And I think certainly if you're earlier on in your career, you're trying to learn and you're trying to attach purpose to what your job is, why you're doing what you're doing and how you're growing. And a lot of those things are tough to do on your own. You need to be in an environment to allow for that. So there is a balance. Same with someone that's more seasoned in their career. They want to be reminded of the impact and the purpose that their work is having. So it's an opportunity for organizations to create these moments that don't just include we're bringing everybody into the office and they're going to sit and be on Zoom calls all day. It's, you know, if we're having opportunities in person, What's the benefit and what are we doing to create and make this moment special and satisfy that purpose-driven nature that we can't get when we're working remotely? How uh, you, you alluded to the idea that the um, presence in the office was a factor and, and you chose to walk away from a company that wouldn't really budge on that. Uh, for, the, for the companies that do profess to be more open-minded about that. How do you typically tee up the whole remote work situation, I guess, you know, expectation versus obligation? How, how does that typically get set up in your process? The, the, the funny thing is, is, you know, organizations that mandate anything, a certain day or time that people need to be in the office, you've lost most of the market, even though if you didn't mandate it and it was an option, they would come to the office. So I think people just don't like to be dictated and told where they should work now. They want to have the option to. So fully being hybrid and what that means for you is we have space that we allow for collaboration or we have moments that we bring people together. That's how you position that. But you can work from wherever you feel comfortable 
that's the future. The future is as long as people are getting their work done, hours that they work, where they work should not matter. There's also opportunity to bring people together and build those relationships and share the purpose-driven nature of why that they're doing what they're doing are really important. But that's on the organization. That's not on, you know, the job description or how we're going to set up each role. That's on the, the company to figure out. And a lot of them are still figuring that out. Yeah. I uh, I do some work with a large fintech company and I one of my clients was an executive who had responsibility for a department of about 400 and through the whole pandemic of course everybody was remote everybody was 100% and they have effectively gone hybrid it's it's it, it's what I call open hybrid there's no mandated days in or out or otherwise it is left to the discretion of the work team to decide if if they've got a project and they'd be great if they could all huddle together, then then they vote and they figure that out and they get it going. And she was telling me the story about a month ago, I think they opted to host a gathering offsite. And they got a big venue because with the potential of 400, they said, we need to venue needs to be big enough to accommodate that and again they did not make this a mandatory assembly it was it was like we're going to do this event here's the venue here's what the amenities that are going to be there you know and there was there was, it was supposed to be fun time just connect time they opened it up and she said they had about 300 respondents about 300 showed up out of the 400 and Total win. And she said it was great. You know, everybody could walk around the brand new hires that had never met anybody in person. A lot of that going on, had the chance to get toured around, you know, their team leaders would take them around and introduce them to the chain of command and, and get them, uh, uh, well introduced that way. And she said it was just a whale of a success, and she's probably going to opt to do that once a quarter now to give everybody that opportunity to have that connect time and do whatever they will, whether they're going to talk shop or just visit or just, you know, rub elbows with those senior leaders. I would imagine attendance will grow on the next one just based on the experience, because a lot of employees don't know what to expect when they have these things. Like, is this just going to be, are we coming in to do work or the formalities or what does this look like? And there's, you know, some distrust about what that experience is going to be. And then you go and it disarms you that it's, you know, a valuable experience to build relationships and connect that that's great. And that'll grow. I know some organizations that block time in the week for no calls, no meetings, and they say this to their clients too. Monday between nine and 12, we are offline. And what they do is they have donuts and coffee come in and people come in and connect. Just to, and, and the purpose of that, build relationships with your, with your colleagues. And right. it's not mandated. It's here it is. But like, if you come in, like you're not taking, we're not going to take calls, right? We're just going to connect. And like the power of those moments and allowing the opportunity to do that is great. It's hard to quantify, but I think it's valuable in terms of, just having a, a positive experience. Yeah. Well, in, in this particular executive that had done this, we, we talked about the, you know, the budget side of everything, you know, you, you immediately see dollar signs when you put something like this together. And I said, 
Yeah, but over time, if you start paring back the amount of physical footprint you've got in your office park, uh, I'm guessing the cost of that event was less than one month's rent at your current facility, you know, whatever that is, and not even counting utilities and everything else. And she thought a minute, she goes, yeah, it was a decimal error <laughs> compared to that. And I said, uh-huh. And, you know, so if you bake this into your long-term plan, you're going to have the ultimate cost savings out of the whole thing. So, she's well, Mike, lucky we're... she's got you. Lucky she's got you to help point those out because I think more leaders should, you know, listen to that advice and kind of what you've done for for that client to 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 do that because it is super important and there is a lot of value in there. They just need you know, someone like yourself to help them understand what they should do and how they should do it. So kudos to you. And, and it sounds like the client's doing great and we need more of that. Get yeah. out there and do more, Doug. We need to do more. <laughs> well, Mike, on that note, we need to uh, wrap this up. Tell everybody again uh, your website and how to get a hold of you if they're interested. Yeah, it's sparkrecruiting.ca or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always happy to connect with people and Learn about. I, I'm lucky as a recruiter. My job is to connect with people and learn about everybody's story. And every single person I meet, I'm blown away by their story because nobody has your story. It is super unique and special to you. And I love learning about it and I love telling it. So connect with me, please. Well, I appreciate that. And thanks again for being on the show. This is really... Um... I, I'm guessing I'm going to have some listeners that are going to sit back in their chair and they might've actually turned this off, which is too bad. They missed a, a golden nugget and I'm, I'm going to really ping everybody about listening hard. And I think my big takeaway for leaders and company owners is ask yourself this question. How is your process for identifying the talent you really need? You're in high competition for these roles, the, the competitive nature of the current market is hitting everybody. I don't care how big or small you are. Think about your process. Uh, think about if something Mike has shared here could be of value to you to, to really tell a better story to recruit the people you really want to have and have this dialogue. Um, reach out to Mike, get some help setting up a program and getting things done. Uh, but at a minimum, uh, again, I'll challenge, think about your own process right now. And as Einstein famously said, if you keep doing the same thing, expecting different results, it's the definition of what? Insanity. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to wrap up, say goodbye. Thanks everyone for listening in. I do want to remind you, if you're uh, on a streaming service listening to us, don't forget our YouTube channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're over there on YouTube. You get to see Mike's shining face and uh, get to take a look at everything we've done here and all the other episodes. Do uh, hit the subscribe button. Leave us a comment, leave us a like, dislike, whatever. We're, we're big boys. We can take it. Uh, if you didn't like it, let us know. We'll, we'll talk about it. But uh, again, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate you investing your time. Hope to see you again real soon. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.